everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Shane. And I'm Sam. And today, we're each doing an episode. Well, no, not an episode. Um, a story. A story. Surprise! Yes. <laughs> it's almost like it's a surprise to me. No, I'm kidding. I knew about <laughs> this, but sometimes when we do research, we find stuff we really like, but it's too short to make its own episode. Yeah. <laughs> So instead of having like a 15 minute episode, mm-hmm. we're going to combine and it's going to be like the good old days. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I told you earlier, cause I like to talk about things that are similar related to the podcast, but we got a new season American Horror Story coming out. I'm, I'm on the fence about it, but. I think I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Um, but the past couple seasons have not wowed me. No. So. No. And last season didn't even feel like American Horror Story to me. I didn't even watch last season. <laughs> I'm only going to watch the season just because Kim Kardashian is on it. And I just want to see what happens. Yes. And I just, I don't know. I wonder if like any of her sisters are going to make a cameo appearance or something. I feel like you can't have one without having them all. <laughs> They're like Pringles. They are. <laughs> <laughs> but also in other news... Um, semi-related to the airplane episode that I released about people freaking out on an airplane because they saw, or they saw what they thought was a shapeshifter. Um, there's a new video of a man who woke up freaking out because he says he was stuck in a time loop and it was the sixth time that he woke up and he keeps getting reset because the plane crashes. It's like a very scary version of Groundhog Day. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, And it was a Chinese airline, so this is supposed to be, like, kept secret, which I don't know how true that is. But I don't know why people are all of a sudden freaking out on planes for shapeshifters or time loops. It's still happening, which I think is very interesting. Well, I mean, everybody's freaking out now. (laughs) Yes. I have... I don't know if it's a freak out, but I do have mental breakdowns at least like oh, once no. a week. <laughs> but you know what? You don't accuse me of being a shapeshifter or any of the cats. <laughs> I, well, I don't know about them. They are. Ollie thinks he's an electrician because he's trying to get in the damn ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> he will not stop. And they do fly through the air at night they and do land fly on your head. The, yeah, when he gave me a black eye before. <laughs> I'm glad that it's. I, well, I was off work yesterday. Mm-hmm. Today is Tuesday when we're recording, so it felt like Monday, which mm-hmm. is probably not such a rough day. But I did. I keep forgetting that I use Audible. I forget that I use it all the time. <laughs> Until I'm like, oh, I want a new, you know, if I'm not listening to podcasts, I like to listen to audiobooks. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, like to change it up a little bit. Sometimes yes. I like self-help books. Today I started listening to That's Bold of You by Casey Kenny because I really like his podcast. Mm-hmm. And he narrates the book. So, he has a very, like, soothing voice. Uh-huh. And so, I'm enjoying it. And I got extra projects to do this week, which most people will be like, ooh, extra projects. But I'm like, yes, please fill my time. <laughs> because next week, um, it, it's going to be chaotic next mm-hmm. week. So with school starting back, like, for me, and just, like, at my job, it, it's going to be chaos. So, this week, give me all the projects, mm-hmm. and I will get them done. And be very happy about it. Same. My class will start next week. And if I decide to take an ungodly early workout class, that will start next week as well. The offer to wake up at 445 (laughs) and work out in our living room still stands. Thank you. But my class would not be that early. (laughs) But see that you get it done before work. True. True. But one other thing I wanted to mention is last night we had a tornado warning at 1 o'clock. And I'm pretty sure everyone in town was woken up by the warning, which in essence I know is a good thing. Yeah. Everybody... Everybody at work was like, did you get the alert? And I'm like, yeah, I live I live in this town. Yes, I mm-hmm. did. 
But then my phone did not quit alerting me as if I needed like 15 notifications at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, honestly, I wasn't even that concerned because we live in a basement. So yes. even if, I, I feel like we're pretty safe. Mm-hmm. And I only saw the lightning. I didn't hear the thunder and the cats weren't freaking out. And I was like, if they were, if something bad was going to happen, the cats would let me know. And they were snoozing like little babies. <laughs> so I was like, well, if they're not worried about it, I'm not either. <laughs> yeah. I got to the point where I was like, I'm in the safest part of the house, which, you know, I know tornadoes can happen anywhere, yeah. even in our area, even though it's very unlikely because we're in a very mountainous, hilly region. So I know it can happen, but after like, because my phone would not just stop. I got over it to a point where it's like, I'm going to go to sleep now. And I, before I went to sleep, got the notification that it was done 45 minutes later. So Yeah. Uh, I talked to my mom, and my mom does not have a basement or anywhere mm-hmm. in her house. And there's, like, huge windows all over the front of her house. And so she said, yeah, I got the notification, but there's nowhere I could hide. So I just went back to sleep. And I was like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Glad to know you are not concerned at all about your personal safety. So many people I know, they're just like, I went in my bathroom and sat. Someone told me today they took their pillow in the bathroom, which I definitely would not have done. No. We have, like, a tiny little shower, and I am not laying on the bathroom floor. No, no. But I guess they did, so good for them. Good for everyone being safe. Yeah. And luckily, I do think we're all safe. I don't think anything touched down, but no. it was a warning, and usually warnings mean something has been spotted. So yeah. I think all we have were swirling clouds. And they have scraped the road, and it was shitty driving on this morning because <laughs> they picked the worst possible time mm-hmm. to try to redo our road because everything they've done has, like, washed away. Yeah. So that was super fun driving to work this morning. I but know. Anyway. Oodles and oodles. A little glimpse into our life, listeners. <laughs> yeah. All we do is complain. <laughs> <laughs> not really. But no, not all the time. No. Um, but I guess we'll dive into our stories, and I shall go first. Alrighty. I know at this point, people who have clicked on the podcast will see the title and know what I'm talking about. But before I begin my story, I wanted to ask you, do you like to look at or explore like those old abandoned buildings? Um, like, if there's not a chance of me falling through the floor, <laughs> then yes. Yes. And well, in this area, we have more of the abandoned barns. Yeah. I mean, I would be more afraid of um, like a rat. <laughs> I would be very terrified. Like a snake. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even maybe like a ghost. I wouldn't be that <laughs> afraid, but I don't want to see a rat. Well, I love old buildings, and I particularly love to photograph them, though I'm no expert by any means. Most of the time, I just take pictures on my cell phone, and then I post them like on my, oh, goodness, what's it called? Flickr? Is that still a thing? Sometimes I post them on Facebook or Instagram if the photo's really good. Shane, I struggle with TikTok. Don't give me anything other than that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But sometimes I like to think I capture some good shots. In our area, we have a lot of those older style barn type buildings, buildings as I mentioned, which sometimes aren't really barns. They're just like storage buildings. They're kind of, they're mostly gray at this point. I don't know why they're all gray. Like, do you know what I'm talking about, right? Because they're run down and nobody's <laughs> taking care of them and the True. sun's faded all their color. And they just exist. But for whatever reason, they feel like really nostalgic because they've been there since we've been children. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere, there's a bunch mm-hmm. of abandoned yeah. buildings around here. So I feel like I've always been drawn to them, and maybe it's because I love Scooby-Doo, and that's my favorite cartoon, and they explored every abandoned building, which they had a lot in that cartoon. <laughs> that is true. So I like to do that as well. But I say all of this because today we're not just talking about one building in particular, but a whole street that was just seemingly abandoned. So we're going to take a small trip, if you will, to Clareton, Pennsylvania, 
which is a small town in southwest Pennsylvania with a population of 6,181 people as of the year 2020, the last census. And it's mainly known for having the largest manufacturing facility of Coke, not the drug or the soda, but a coal-based fuel. Oh. <laughs> I love Diet Coke. Yeah, this is not that Coke. And I've never tried the drug, so I don't know no, how I feel about that. No. But. <laughs> so the city is a very small city. It's And honestly, it's only about three square miles. Oh, that is mm-hmm. a little bitty. And it is perhaps best known online and social media for something else. A kind of a mystery of sorts. So today we're going to talk about and examine the abandoned street of Lincoln's Way. This dead-end street is between a secluded ravine and it is located on a busy highway across from one, um, or excuse me, across from the ore yards of the USS Clareton Works, which is an old steel mill. It was once comprised of 16 houses or maybe 30 houses or maybe even much as 40. One report mentioned 60 to 70, but I do not think there were ever that many. Yeah, that's a huge... Um huge jump. Mm-hmm. Well, the number varies in almost every context or place, every source I was looking at online, and it was once a bustling community, and it became a spooky, abandoned street where residents seemingly just either vanished or left without a moment's notice, abandoning their homes, many of their belongings, clothes, household items, food left on the table sometimes, like they were just eating a meal and just got up and left, cars in the driveway, and in some cases, as I mentioned, their dinner plates were right on the table. Okay. Two things. Mm-hmm. I would never just leave food sitting out on the table <laughs> unless it was like a serious emergency. If it's on my plate, I'm going to eat mm-hmm. it. And secondly, did you know that the um, district District Twelve, those abandoned like homes, mm-hmm. is actually an old mill in Hickory? Really? Yeah. I did not I know that. I meant to mention this to you, so like, because I was like, let's go. Yes, we should. Because that's not too far. No. And then, you know, we could, like, visit that area and then shop. <laughs> that is true. And <clears throat> do they have a Sonic down there? Yes, I'm fairly certain they do. Okay, I want to try those new buffalo chicken bites. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We could do that. I'm totally down. Okay. One All weekend. Right. <laughs> Back to the story. Yes. So why a community would just leave everything they own is still unknown to this day, but we're going to dive into some of the theories of what may have happened and take a look at the street's history. So Lincoln's Way was established as a black community in the early 1900s because of the segregation laws of the time, and the black members of the community created their own community to attempt to be as self-sufficient as possible. The street was described at one point in time as having many close-knit buildings, some of which served as stores, a church, and a butcher shop. Many residents raised livestock behind their homes, and others would grow gardens and or orchards that they would feed the community with. There were even bathhouses that served the community before bathrooms were installed in the homes. And the families that lived here, like many other communities of the time, I'm sure, had to rely on each other. Yeah. As I mentioned before, the street was across from a steel mill, and during the time, many black families migrated to these areas near steel mills because they knew that they could get work at these mills. Even though they were hired, black men were often given the hottest and hardest positions in the mill to do mm-hmm. because racism. Yeah. The mill itself produced smog, and of course, any neighboring communities near one of these mills would just have to live with the air pollution that would be caused by it. It was, after all, one of the few places that would employ black men, as I mentioned. So, while I do not have record 
of many dates that we can pinpoint many things to. There is one year in 1925 where a crime took place that is described as one of the most brutal crimes committed in the history of Clariton because four police officers were uh, answer a call for what we would now consider a welfare caller about an elderly man who had been suffering from dementia and they handled this call by throwing tear gas through his window, then savagely beating him, handcuffing him, and then threw him down the stairs headfirst in front of his wife, and then shooting him in the hip because they would claim um, that he had shot at them first. That's not a welfare check. No. They... And of course, he did not shoot at them first. The police officers were eventually charged with felonious assault and battery, but were acquitted as... The man, as the guy that they did all this to, was quote unquote attempting to resist arrest. But why were they even trying to arrest him? I'm, oh. Yeah, yeah, it makes no sense. It's horrible, you know. And I'd like to think that we are better than this today but with all the things not. that are still happening. We yeah, are not. We, we are, are not. So while history does take us back in time, we can leap forward to the 1990s where the neighborhood was still populated before seemingly becoming abandoned in the mid 2000s. So, what happened to all the residents of Lincoln's Way? This is the part where we get into the theories. Since it was a neighborhood with a long history, many people believe that Lincoln's Way was abandoned due to the hauntings from the past. And I'm a big believer that that there are ghosts everywhere, no matter what, and have no doubt that I'm sure this dead-end street does have some ghosts of its own. But I just don't believe that the ghosts of this once tight-knit community who supported each other so much and were trying to be self-sufficient and wouldn't have to rely on anyone else I just don't believe that they would scare the remaining residents away after they passed on. What would the point be in that? If there was something supernatural that caused this problem, it would have to be something a little darker, in my opinion, something more malevolent, something more evil. Well, I'm sure that there were probably a lot of like negative and dark things happening there mm-hmm. just because of the time and you know mm-hmm. racism. Um, and that energy probably stuck around. Yes. Which probably could have drawn in other negative entities. Mm-hmm. Even if it weren't, you know, like you said, it wouldn't be the same people that had lived there in the past. Very true, which brings us kind of into our next theory. So there have been several reports that many believe that Lincoln's Way, you know, this once best bustling black community that supported itself um, in a time when laws forced segregation and did not would not support them was abandoned because of a creature known as the Beast of Lincoln's Way. What kind of beast was it? Well, we'll dig into that a little bit. So the legend of the beast begins as the community was falling into poverty and some of the families had already moved away or left and residents of the dead end street began to hear something lurking in the woods at night, something that sounded non-human. It did not sound like any known animal that anyone had ever seen or heard of before. Soon, they begin to hear the beast stalking the woods at night, and it began to torment the residents of Lincoln's Way. Soon, their pets would go missing. A couple of days later, someone would discover the remains of the missing pets, oh. often mutilated and very often at the wood line. Then, the creature stepped up its game, getting closer to the actual homes on the lane. Residents would wake up to find their gardens destroyed. There would, some, there would sometimes be some sort of paw prints, and these paw prints were said to be too big for local animals like rabbits or dogs, but still nothing like anyone had ever seen before. Things only got worse for the families of Lincoln Way. Soon after their gardens were destroyed, the beast would escalate its activity and begin to wake the residents by banging or scratching on the sides of their homes. 
Some people say they were awakened by sounds of howling. Like a wolf. Kind of. Um, or snarls right outside their windows. No resident ever reported seeing the beast, and the legend states that if they did and managed to live to tell about it, then they immediately left, abandoning their home and neighbors. Soon, one, one by one or in groups, each house would become abandoned. It is said the activity from the creature would just get worse and worse, that we do not have any stories from the last remaining people before they left. Many just up and left, leaving everything they owned, only taking their family and the clothes on their backs. This is how scared they were. The neighborhood lay abandoned for years. The legend scaring away would-be urban explorers, but not all that heard this tale were deterred from visiting the now abandoned street. One story goes that two urban explorers decided to pay a visit to the empty neighborhood. They parked in the front of one of the houses, or in front of one of the houses, during the later part of the day. Armed with flashlights, they attempted to look for evidence of the beast on the ground. However, by this point, the grass and weeds had grown so high that it was near impossible to see if anything remotely in the area had left tracks or had been digging in the ground. They should have pre-planned and took a lawnmower out there earlier in the day and went back. <laughs> they walked the street and then they began to explore the houses. They did not know what kind of shape the houses were in. Many of them were older and debilitated at this point, or I should say dilapidated. Maybe that's the better word choice. <laughs> I guess houses can be debilitated too. <laughs> um, so they first started out by looking in the windows of the homes but they did eventually go into a few of the actual houses the ones they entered looked like the place had been ransacked overturned furniture photos strewn everywhere shredded curtains and mangled pillows very few houses were reported to be intact but apparently a few of them were they looked like they could have been lived in if not for the dirt and passage of time these houses still have photos on the walls, books on the shelves, and even some plates of what is now molded food left on the table, which rodents and other critters had most likely been eating from. <laughs> they found one house that even still had a car in the garage. So by nightfall, they decided they'd be done exploring. Um, so as they went to their car, they began to hear loud scratches and bangings against one of the nearby houses. One explorer, I would like to think the one that would be me suggested that they need to GTFO. <laughs> I would not be the other explorer because I would not have even been there. <laughs> well, the other one wanted to see the source of the noise and went to see what it was. And when he closed in to the house where the noises were coming from, they stopped. And then as he listened, he heard a deep guttural snarl. He turned and saw a large creature standing on all fours with black hair, long claws, razor sharp teeth, with the head that looked similar to that of a dog, but with horns on both sides. Mm -hmm. It had big, deep red eyes. When he dropped his flashlight, it startled the beast, allowing the explorer to run back to his friend, and then both of them get in their car. Okay, now this is how I know this is false. Because <laughs> the beast would not have been afraid of a damn flashlight falling. <laughs> I mean, it might not have ever seen one before. <laughs> I don't know. But the beast leaps in front of them, and they see it in the headlights. What was thought to be fur looked more like porcupine quills oh. that were matted and somehow stood straight up. So they sped away, avoiding the creature, hearing it howl as they left. And that is the Beast of Lincoln's Way. No one can pinpoint when the stories of the beast began to circulate, but we do know that they started after the street was abandoned. So another theory, leaving that one behind, 
is that the residents were forced to abandon their homes for expansion of a major highway that it sits right in front of. And this was proven false as the highway was never expanded. And in my experience, these type of things, you're given notice to people where you eventually tell them we're going to take your land. But the government will tell you they're going to do this, essentially, or the highway patrol, whoever is doing it. Or I should say the, the division of highway, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you don't really get a choice. Exactly. But they don't say, hey, we're doing this today, get out and leave. No, they do give you a little bit of time. Yeah, they would be able to pack and take their belongings and, you know, most likely would not be in the middle of dinner when this hap- if this happened. So, I don't believe that one. Another theory says that the street was abandoned for some sort of development project that also never happened. And like the project, no papers or plans for said project ever happened. So I think that's just another theory. We have another theory that again points to the government, but instead of wanting the land for development, this theory states that due to pollution from the steel mill and the current Coke factory, along with the abandoned mines below the neighborhood, that there is no confirmation that I could find of even existing that the neighborhood was in danger of the mines collapsing. So again, like the previous theories, there's no confirmation of any of this. We do know that the area was highly polluted from the mill, the air, that that is, um, and the factory. And this does kind of play into the final and most likely theory that we have. If you remember, nearly all of the men from the community were working at the sawmill. And this area has all, and that has always caused pollution with its emissions. And the Coke factory still does to this day. Since the men worked in the factories, many of them began to die much sooner than their wives. Then you have children growing up, moving away, and starting better lives for themselves, and you're left with several widows. People grow old. When these elderly residents passed away or were moved to nursing homes, often their belongings were left behind. The effect of a growing number of abandoned homes was devastating to a community already struggling to entice new residents. If someone had a medical emergency and were taken away by an ambulance, never to return to their homes, then their home would lay abandoned with all the belongings. Oh, that is true. This also explains why some of the meals were left on the tables. The houses began to fall in disarray. Lincoln's Way did have some short-term residents, but they left as soon as they were financially able to. No one ever stayed. Property values plummeted, and rather than struggle to sell their homes, many people just simply left them behind. Several reports I read have the year 2012 as the year that the last resident vacated Lincoln's Way. Could you imagine being the last one there, having lived there, grown up back when it was a neighborhood really in its prime, and to see how now you were the last one left, all the houses are in disarray? It would be so sad. It would be like the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It's, I wrote in my notes, it would be like Mr. Feeney in the classroom at the end of Boy Meets World. <laughs> Except for a much scarier, sadder person. Yes, yes. But just as sad. It's an isolated area, and some will say that that isolation led to its downfall. Yeah. As Lincoln Way was abandoned, social media began to rise. And with the rise of social media, the pictures and videos started. In particular, it was Google Maps that led to a lot of the videos and pictures. The street view showed the abandoned neighborhood. And, of course, it didn't help that many of these videos and pictures, including the street view, showed no trespassing by order of the city, other no trespassing signs, and of course, do not enter signs, all leading to the speculation of why does the city want to keep people out? Probably safety. So it, <laughs> That's yeah, why. Safety and not having it just like be completely mm-hmm. destroyed. So eventually, I'm sure the city reclaimed the abandoned land and did not want people like urban explorers to go in and get hurt. Yeah. 
In one of the videos, it says Google Maps was not allowed to go down the actual neighborhood, but it's abandoned, so why would they? Sometime after the last resident vacated, a fire destroyed many of the homes. Some explorers would begin making graffiti in the houses. In 2017-2018, the police considered this abandoned neighborhood a nuisance, so the city eventually demolished what was left of the once bustling community, and now the area still sits vacated, reclaimed by Mother Nature. Also, the homes aren't there anymore? Nope, they are not. Aww. There are before and after pictures you can see if you just pretty much Google Lincoln's Way, you'll see them. Many factors in the vacating of this once thriving black community um, were pollution from the mill and factory, capitalism, racism, but many people will always think that a certain red-eyed monster was part of the history. There was a monster, just not a literal one that these people think. A more figurative one known as racism. A true monster in our world. Yeah. So that's the story of Lincoln's Way. I never heard of that before. I know. I like kind of finding these little stories online. And even though there's not a lot of information, it's cool to actually dive in and see what you can find out about them. Other than there's a beast that lurks here at night waiting yeah. for its next victim. Because there's usually always a beast, but it's not like an actual beast. No, no. Beast. I'm honestly surprised I did not come across a lady in white. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a while since she made an appearance. That is true. Maybe next week. <laughs> yes. So that's my story. This is a story that I... Not, it's not a story. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's the true story of Sherry Elaine Lyle Hart. And okay. I have heard this story mm -hmm. growing up my whole life because it happened in my hometown. Mm-hmm. Sherry Elaine Lyle was born on February 10th, 1959 to parent Joe and Betty Lyle... And I believe she was the only child of the couple. And just so you know, listeners, I did actually do research on this. This is not just me telling you from memory. I did research <laughs> on this. So Sherry grew up in Ash County, North Carolina, a small town surrounded by mountains, literally in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. She attended Beaver Creek High School. And at some point in her late teens, she got married and she had a child, a daughter she named April. And then in late 1984, when her daughter April was around six and Sherry was 24, Sherry and her husband divorced. So Sherry and her, Sherry and April moved back home with her parents, mm -hmm. Joe and Betty. Sherry was kind and fun loving and she was a wonderful mother. She adored April and she put her above everyone and everything. She would frequently bring home those charm blow pops for yes. April because April loved the gum inside of them. Mm -hmm. April didn't like the sucker part, so she would put it in a glass of water until the sucker dissolved, and then she would chew the gum. Oh, the sucker's my favorite part. I don't like the gum. Yeah. Well, she's six. When you're six, you like That is true. Odd things. I like the stick and dipping sticks much better than the powder when I was little. Oh, no, I love that powder. Like, I would <laughs> pour it in my mouth. Like the cinnamon challenge and let it blow out like I was dying. Like Glozell. Yes. <laughs> so, on January 15th, 1984, Sherry had asked her parents if they could babysit April for the evening. At that time, Sherry, she was young, she was a single mother, and she was just trying to get back out there, you mm -hmm. know? So, she had plans for a date that night. So that afternoon, she got dressed in a sweater with like a red and green flower design, a pair of Levi Strauss jeans, a pair of white sneakers that she had just recently purchased with some Christmas money at Sears, mm -hmm. and a long gray coat. It's very 1980s. <laughs> yes. Um, when you look at pictures of Sherry, she definitely had like the big 1980s hair. Mm -hmm. 
So, she left her parents' house that afternoon, and she didn't return home that evening. When she didn't come home the next day and had not contacted her parents to check up on April, Betty and Joe filed a missing persons report. Because it was not like her just to mm-hmm. walk out on April. She wouldn't have done that. So, when authorities began looking into Sherry's disappearance, they were able to locate some friends that had seen Sherry sitting in her car in the parking lot of Bantam Chef, which is a local burger restaurant. Mm-hmm. And from what those friends indicated, it seemed that Sherry's date had stood her up. But remember, this was 1984, and cell phones were not like they are today. So, if you left your house to meet somebody, and you had an emergency, or they had an emergency, and didn't show up, you really wouldn't know what happened until much later. Yeah. So... Those friends saw or indicated that they'd seen her for a little bit, but then she pulled out of the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And then another report put Sherry in the parking lot of a grocery store, Sky City, which is now in Ingalls, which is a grocery store chain in the South. I think it's like mostly in like North Carolina and South Carolina. I think there are a few in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. They have the best apple fritters ever. (laughs) They really do. (laughs) They're so good. (laughs) So that report stated that Sherry's Ford Granada had been seen parked beside a white Ford Mustang that was being driven by Jeffrey Jeff Burgess and Richard Lynn Bear. Sherry was a few years older at 24 than Jeff and Richard, who were both 20. Mm -hmm. But because Ash County is so tiny, everybody literally knows everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go in Walmart and fart, your neighbors are (laughs) going to know before you get home. So it used to be a thing for teens and young adults. To cruise the main strip of downtown. Like Friday and Saturday nights. Town was packed with cars. Because teens would just be cruising down that main mm-hmm. strip. They would pull off on the side. Just to like meet up. And hang out with their friends. And so that's how it's believed that Sherry came to know Jeff and Richard. Mm-hmm. So investigators located Richard and Jeff. To bring them in for questioning. It seemed that both men had admitted they'd spoken to Sherry that evening, but they didn't provide much detail. And I'm not sure why investigators didn't press further, but they didn't. And because nobody really knew where Sherry was, the men were let go. Of course. But her family and her friends were frantic in their search for Sherry. So a few days after she disappeared, her father actually found her car still sitting in the Sky City parking lot. Oh. But Sherry wasn't there. Neither were her car keys or her purse. So, with no further leads and reports of anyone seeing Sherry, the case quickly turned cold. Mm-hmm. And rumors began to circulate that Sherry had left town and relocated to Florida with an unknown boyfriend. Her parents didn't believe this to be true because they knew Sherry would never leave April, but April was only six when her mother disappeared. So, the rumors that were going around town made April believe that her mom had left because she didn't love her and she didn't want her anymore. Oh, my God. It was extremely traumatic for April. That is so terrible. Yeah. And when you're little, you know, when you're little, the whole world revolves around you. So, if something bad happens, you automatically think it's your fault. And Mm -hmm. she thought her mom left because she didn't want her anymore. So, about 11 months later in December 1984, there was a robbery at a local convenience store. And the guys that robbed the convenience store had actually stolen a safe and, like, a few other, like, random items. Mm -hmm. Probably, like, some peanut butter crackers and Mountain Dew because (laughs) they're from Ash County. (laughs) So, when the two men were apprehended, they informed the police that they had actually thrown the safe that they'd stolen off the side of a mountain 
known as the jumping off place or jumping off rock, which is literally right between Ash and Wilkes counties. Okay. So the mountain is about a 1,200 foot drop to the bottom. So police are on the ground searching for the safe when one of the officers noticed that he was standing on skeletal hand remains. <gasps> so the SBI was called in to help recover. And it was believed that the remains either belonged to Sherry Hart or another young woman, Angela Hamby, that had disappeared from Wilkes County in 1982. When the remains were sent in for autopsy, they were later determined to be those of Sherry Hart. And I just want to mention here that Angela Hamby, who disappeared in 1982, still has never been found. Oh, wow. Um, April and her grandparents were actually watching the news when the breaking coverage had alerted that human remains had been found. And so her grandparents took her out of the room because they didn't want her to hear all the details. They should have contacted the family first. Yeah. Unfortunately, that hope that they had been holding on to was shattered once the remains were identified as Sherry. So with Sherry now being found and the town rumors of her running away to Florida had been quieted, Mm -hmm. investigators reopened her case and began going back through all the case files. So they started re-questioning witnesses and basically all the reports were leading them back to Jeff Burgess and Richard Bayer as being the last two people that were seen with Sherry Mm -hmm. the evening she disappeared. So authorities brought the um, both men back in for questioning in March of 1985, just a little over three months after Sherry had been found and just a little over a year since she had gone missing. Richard remained tight-lipped, but Jeff sang like a canary. And that's when they found out what had happened to Sherry Hart on the evening of January 15th, 1984. Oh, no. And I'm going to give a trigger warning here. Um, Brief mention of attempted sexual assault. So, that evening, Jeff and Richard had been cruising around in Richard's brother's car. And around 9 p.m., they noticed Sherry's car sitting in the Sky City parking lot. Mm -hmm. So, Richard had turned to Jeff and told him that was old Sherry and that he intend that he and he indicated that he wanted to get a piece of that that evening. Ugh. Like basically he had already decided that he was going to try to sleep with Sherry that mm-hmm. evening. So the two men pulled up beside her and they rolled down their windows and the three of them made small talk before Sherry and Jeff and Richard decided to just go cruise town together. Mm-hmm. So Sherry left her car parked and she climbed into the front seat with Richard and Jeff got into the back seat. So, they were riding around together for a little bit, taking different back roads and sipping on a bottle of Jack Daniels. According to Jeff, things were going smooth and they were all just like having fun in the beginning. After they'd been riding around for a little bit, Sherry indicated that she had to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Well, this being a Sunday evening in the middle of winter in Ash County, everything closed at like 5 (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, if that. (laughs) Yeah, and also they were taking back roads and it was in the middle of nowhere. So, there really wouldn't have been anywhere for them to like go to the bathroom anyway. Mm-hmm. So they just pulled off the main road and Sherry walked off into the woods to go to the bathroom. Well, as she had gone into the woods, Jeff stayed in the car, but Richard got out and he followed her. So Jeff described mm-hmm. to authorities how he watched from the back seat as he seen Sherry coming out of the woods and then Richard followed her and attempted to sexually assault her in front of the car. But Sherry fought him off and the two got back in the car. They continued driving, and a few minutes after they got back on the road, Sherry realized her keys were missing. And that was the only set of keys she had. So, yeah. if she didn't find her keys, she was not going to be able to drive back home. Mm-hmm. So, they turned around and went back to search for them, but they couldn't find them. So, at this point, it's between like 10 and 11. 
they get back in the car and they decided that they wanted to go to like a local club called the Moonshine Inn, which is no longer a place, but okay. it used to be in the eighties. And so I did want to mention here and stand up for Sherry. Like I grew up in the nineties in this tiny town and like early aughts. And even then sexual assault was not seen as sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Like for women, we were expected to believe that old adage, like boys will be boys. Yeah. And I can only imagine that that was even more prevalent in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And Sherry had been drinking hard liquor, and she may not have been thinking clearly. And again, that I'm not victim-blaming or shaming no. Sherry in any way. She should have been safe to get in the car with two guys that she thought were her friends mm-hmm. and drink as much as she wanted without fear of being sexually assaulted by them. Uh-huh. So, Sherry, I'm in no way saying Sherry's actions were to blame for what happened. Yeah. Her. I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. So, on the way to the club, Sherry indicated that she needed to go to the bathroom again. So, again, they pulled off the road. Sherry got out to go to the bathroom, and Richard followed her. A few minutes later, Sherry came running out of the woods (coughs) towards the car, Mm -hmm. with Richard following right behind her. And Jeff could see that they were yelling at each other, but he couldn't hear exactly what they were saying. So, he got out of the car, and Sherry ran up to him. I'm not exactly sure what she said, but based Mm -hmm. on what had happened the first time they pulled off the road... It was pretty apparent that Richard had tried to rape Sherry in the woods. Oh. Jeff told investigators that he wasn't aware that Richard had a gun when he got in the car that evening. And he was surprised when he pulled a gun out of his pocket and hit Sherry in the back of the head with it. Oh, God. The hit did not knock Sherry out, which is what I think he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Instead, it just confused her. And according to Jeff, she said something that she said that something had hit her in the head. Mm-hmm. So, her head was bleeding yeah. you know, pretty profusely from the hip. Richard look at, looked at Jeff and basically indicated that they could not let her go now and told Jeff to help her get, help him get her back in the car. So, he did. They got back in the car. A little bit down the road, Richard pulled off the side of the road and he pulled Sherry out of the car. He handed the keys to Jeff and told him to drive down the road and turn around before coming back. So, Jeff got in the driver's seat and watched... Richard lead Sherry towards the jumping off place. Jeff pulled back on onto the road and did as Richard had told him to do. So, when he went down, circled, and came back up to where Richard and Sherry had gotten out of the car, only Richard was waiting for him. Mm-hmm. He asked what happened to Sherry, and he stated that Richard had told him that she got what he des- what she deserved, and indicated that if he told anyone what happened that happened that night, his family, including his young daughter, would not be safe. <laughs> So, based on what was found when Sherry's body was discovered in the autopsy report, the exact cause of death couldn't be determined. Her skull did have a fracture, was, which was consistent with the fall. Mm-hmm. However, it could not be determined if Sherry had died immediately upon impact or oh if she God. was alive after. Both Richard Baer and Jeff Burgess were arrested in 19, March 1985, charged with the murder of Sherry Hart. A trial date was set for the end of July 1985. Jeff and Richard were held in jails in different counties, and I'm not sure who, like, how it was decided who went where, Mm -hmm. but both law enforcement from Ashe County and Wilkes County were involved in the case and the investigation because the location where Sherry was found is literally right between the two counties. Uh So, a few days before the trial was to begin, Richard Baer escaped from the Wilkes County Jail. 
Apparently, there was only one guard working that evening and he'd failed to lock all of the cell doors. So Richard hid in the kitchen after leaving his cell and then he just walked right out the front door of the count of uh, the jailhouse. Wow, that is just one guard. Yeah. Well, it was later stated that the guard that was working that evening was actually involved in a relationship with one of Richard's sisters. Oh. And it was suspected that he left the cell like unlocked on purpose. Mm-hmm. The guard that was working at that evening was fired just a few days after Richard's escape. Good. So because Richard had escape, escaped and Jeff had cooperated with authorities and was going to testify against him, Jeff Burgess was allowed to be bailed out of jail until Richard could be found. Are you kidding? No. Jeff's trial was not going to begin until Richard had been apprehended. That was in 1984. Mm-hmm. It's now 2023 and Richard Lynn Bear has never been found. Wow. He was almost captured in 1993 after a tip led investigators after a tip led investigators to Delaware mm-hmm. where he'd been hiding out with family, but he was gone before he got there. And then in 2002, investigators got a tip to believe that led them to believe Richard Bear was living under the assumed name Richard Presnell. Mm-hmm. A judge ordered that fingerprints be collected from Richard Presnell for comparison, but when authorities went to collect them, it was discovered that Richard, Richard Presnell had moved from his current address and they were not able to locate him. Oh, big surprise, which means Presnell might have been Burgess. Bear. Or Bear, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> So, there have been a bunch of theories throughout the years <clears throat> that Richard is still being hidden by family, which they deny, mm-hmm. and some reports that he continues just to, like, walk around in plain sight. Um, Jeffrey Burgess was never held accountable for his role in Sherry's death, although he did spend time in and out of jail for various other offenses. No surprise there. Um, he actually died in 2012. Sherry's father, Joe, passed away in 2002, and then her mother, Betty, passed away in 2011. Aww. Both of her parents died never seeing justice for Sherry. Mm-hmm. And so her daughter, April, she's now grown and she's married and she has kids of her own. And she was so young when Sherry disappeared mm-hmm. that her memories of her mom aren't as strong as they used to be. Yeah. Like she basically had to live her entire life without her mom and still hearing rumors that her mother's killer is still walking around mm-hmm. free. But she still holds out hope that he will be called and that her mother will see justice. Yes. And that is the case of Sherry Hart. Oh, goodness. I did not, I I forgot that he had not been found. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah, he he was on the SBI's most wanted list for a long time. Um, And he's in his, he would be in his 60s now. Mm Mm-hmm. What a tragedy as always. And then for him to just escape, most likely with help, I believe. And just walk right out of the Mm -hmm. front door. Yeah. Oh, man. Never to really be seen again. No. And there's a bunch of Reddit, like, forums and Mm -hmm. um, people, you know, saying that they saw him. I don't know. But, yeah, everybody, like, in the town believes that he still is around. Oh, I'm sure. Would not surprise me one bit. Just because... You you know, he's probably hiding in plain sight at this point. Well, like, you know, you grow up in a small town Mm -hmm. and you think... It's a safe place, but it really, there's no safe place. No. It doesn't matter, like, how big or tiny your town mm-hmm. is. Like, nobody is, like, no town is immune from violence. No. We, we started the podcast out with a story that happened here in Boone, where I grew up, and now well, there's... there was just mm-hmm. a shooting, like, yes. last week at 
the Bojangles. Yes, a road rage incident which led to someone's death. Yeah. And we still don't have details on that. Jeez. So no matter how small the town, you're never really that safe. No, no. Well, there we go, <gasps> listeners. Two very different stories. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny that, not funny, but we both like did like calm downs. And we didn't even mean to. Well, I mean, mine was in Pennsylvania, so. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. But did we not start out with, I thought you said started out with, like, Boone. No. Oh. Well, I talked not. about how I like all the old barns around here and oh, stuff like okay. that. <laughs> My memory is for shit. I cannot remember anything. But we, we hope you enjoyed listening, everyone. <laughs> yes, and. Stay safe. I need to go take a ginkgo below. Yes. And and look for us on social media. Reach out to us. Say hi. Yes. You can find us at Monsters and Murder Pod on Instagram or send us an email at monstersandmurderpod at gmail.com. Yes. Um, you can also look me up on TikTok where I plan to produce more podcast related content. I am Shanley Miller 11. It's also my personal one, so there's going to be mis- a mix of everything, but there will be some podcast content out there. So yeah. reach out, say hi, let us know you listen. And until next time, stay, stay safe. safe. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.